0: Um, With family in mind, I want to give you three dates, and I'll tell you why these are significant to me. February of 2007, December 21st of 2007, and then June 28, 2008. All three of those dates mean something very, very specific and very significant for Becky and I, my wife and I. Let me go back to the first one, 2007, February of 2007. The reason that doesn't have a specific date is because there is currently um, disagreement on the exact day, but we all agree that on February, sometime the month of February of 2007, Becky and I started dating. We went from friends to dating, finally. I wore her down to finally, and, and you know how that whole dating process goes. It's like you're friends, and then you're more than friends, and then you talk, and then you go out, and then you finally start dating. So we knew each other in in college, had the same circle of friends, got to know each other, got to like each other a lot more. And then sometime in February of 2007, we officially started dating. Now I knew right away, this was the one for me. I'm like, there's there's no way this is not her. Now granted, it took a little bit longer for me to convince her of that. But by December 21st of 2007, we got engaged. So not that long of dating, finally got her to agree, proposed, celebrated, and we were officially engaged. About a year later, about six months later, we get to June 28th of 2008, where we stood together hand in hand. We both said, I do, and we got married. You see, all three of those dates all have a corresponding relationship title attached to it. Dating, engaged, as well as married. But we know like that could continue, like we could keep adding chairs. I could tell you about August of 2012 when we had our first kid, and then another kid, and then another kid, and now we're done. And, <laughs> but it's always something else, right? There's always ways that your relationship changes. If we were to go all the way back to February of, 20, or of 2007, As we grew with one another, our relationship grew. As our relationship changed, so did the titles associated with those. And here's why this is so important. Let me say this, and then I'll help you understand. How you define a relationship, how you label or define or describe a relationship will give you direction for that relationship. Let me say it again. How you define a relationship gives direction for that relationship. Let's talk about in the context of of me and Becky. So February 2007, we officially start dating. There's that definition, that label that we are dating. And now that we are officially dating, guess what? We talk about things that boyfriend and girlfriend talk about. We go out on dates. We spend time together. Priorities begin to shift Right? We have certain boundaries, we have certain pl- things planned, our conversations, how we think, how we act, things have changed because of that label of dating. Then you fast forward to December 21st, 2007, when we're now engaged, and as the relationship changed, as the title changed, as the definition of our relationship changed, so did what we talk about. No longer are we just sitting there cuddling, talking about the pie-in-the-sky dreams. We're like, we have a wedding to plan, and how's this going to work? And we go through premarital counseling, and we're like, wow, we have a lot to talk through. And all of a sudden, the conversations change, and how we interact changes, and our plans begin to change. And even how you start spending money, it goes from a mind to ours. I'm like, where did that come from? things begin to change as the relationship changed and then you go all the way to June 28 2008 we say I do we get married and of course what we talk about changes our plans begin to change it's no longer me and you it is truly in every sense of the word is now us everything begins to get direction based on how you define that relationship one of the things we talk about a lot around here is about next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Well, what do you do if you feel stuck? I don't know what's next in my relationship with Jesus. I, like my desire for, for our church, why we exist as a church, and if you walk through any other church's doors that preaches the, that Jesus is savior and preaches from the Bible, we're all gonna say about the same thing. But the way we say it here is, we lead people to fully follow Jesus. That's what I desire for you is to not just know Jesus, to not just follow Jesus, but to fully follow Jesus. And we will never obtain that. It's a constant journey of taking next steps. So if I want you, if we as believers want to fully follow Jesus, that means we're constantly trying to figure out what's my next step and what's my next step. And so often we feel stuck and we don't know what to do next. So what we're going to talk a lot about this morning is that idea of of giving a description or a definition or even a label to where your relationship with Jesus is at, because based on how you define that relationship with Jesus, it gives you direction in what is next. So the whole point for this morning is to help you identify where you're at with Jesus so that you can take a next step, define the relationship so you know the direction you need to go. We've been studying through the book of John, the Gospel of John. And as we've gone through John, we've been specifically looking at interactions Jesus had with other people. And the whole intent of this study through John is so that we could know Jesus a little bit more, so we could walk a little bit closer with him. Same thing today. As so we've been studying through John, it's interesting, a name pops out throughout the Gospel of John. We actually see his name show up three different times, one in the beginning one in the middle of the gospel of John and then one at the very end, and his name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as we're gonna learn and read, is a Pharisee, a religious leader who usually the religious leaders get a really bad reputation and many of them rightfully so, but there's always an exception to the rule. So we're gonna see Nicodemus at the beginning, middle, and end. And what I want you to look for is how his relationship with Jesus was defined, but then also how that relationship changed. How you define your relationship with Jesus will give you direction on how to take next steps with Jesus. So look for how we would define these relationships, but this relationship between Nicodemus and Jesus. But more importantly, how does that help us in our next steps to become a fully follower of Jesus? So we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be a little bit all over John today, focusing on Nicodemus' story. So we'll be in John chapter 3, then John chapter 7, then John chapter 19. All three of those, kind of the beginning, middle, and end, is where we are given some insight into the story of Nicodemus. We'll split those up, talk about each three of them, and see how that will help us in our next steps as well. Here's the first part. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, where we are first introduced to Nicodemus. We're told this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, as I mentioned. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said. Remember that. That's important. Rabbi, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Then Jesus replied in verse three, he tells Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Sounds a little confusing, especially to a religious leader like Nicodemus. And I love his next response. Chapter three, the first part of verse four. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's trying to understand, but he doesn't understand. So, how would we describe or define the relationship that Nicodemus has with Jesus in that very first encounter we get in John chapter 3? I'd say that as a teacher. Do you remember what Nicodemus called Jesus? He actually gave him a title. Do you remember it? Rabbi, which literally means teacher. And even in that title, Nicodemus backs it up and says, we know that God has sent you here. Do you remember? To teach us. So teacher, we know God has sent you to teach us. So that relationship started with Nicodemus going to the teacher. I'd say the same is true for us. Jesus is our teacher. It's the kind of relationship he has with us. Now, again, we're going to focus on three of these. Jesus has a lot more in who he is than just three. But for our time and our study, we're going to focus on these three. First one being teacher. Now, Nicodemus lives the life of a student very well in this relationship because he comes to Jesus. Jesus, said, I know you're here to teach me. Then Jesus teaches him something about weird language of being born again that Nicodemus doesn't understand. He's totally baffled by this concept. So when Nicodemus doesn't understand and he has questions, he does what any of us do when we don't understand and have questions. He asks the question, doesn't he? He says, well, what do you mean? In fact, Nicodemus doesn't just ask one question. He asks three different questions. If you kept reading, here they are. What do you mean, he asked, how can that be? the second question. Then in verse 9, how are these things possible? Now, I love those questions. Like, help me understand, Jesus. What do you mean? How does that work? That seems impossible, so how is that true? And he's asking these questions, not rhetorically, he's bringing them to the teacher. He's bringing his questions to Jesus. Now, don't miss, there's an underlying theme here too, Do you remember what time it was? We're we're told very specifically when Nicodemus went to go see Jesus. It was at night. It was after dark, in secret. So he, Nicodemus, we would infer and assume he believes in Jesus based on his language. We know God sent you to teach us and these miraculous signs. He's not saying those are false. So Nicodemus has a little bit of faith, but also has a lot of questions. He does believe, but he's definitely got some doubts. He wants to understand, but can't understand quite yet. And so he brings his questions in secrecy to Jesus. That's what we do with Jesus as our teacher. We bring him our doubts. We bring him our questions. And we allow the teacher to teach us. Jesus' own words in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' words about himself, giving himself that, the title of the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know what you're supposed to do in life, go to the life. If you don't know which way you're supposed to go, go to the way. If you don't know what's true, go to the truth. We go to the teacher. So often we feel like we've got these questions in us and we, we don't know what to do with them. The fact that Nicodemus wants to know, but he's doing it in secret. He wants to know, but he's asking questions. We can feel just Nicodemus wrestling with Jesus a little bit. He's got these questions and he's wrestling. We talked a little bit about wrestling last week on how wrestling with scripture, wrestling in our relationship with God is a good thing. If you don't wrestle, then you're doing nothing with it, right? You can always do one of two things with your questions and your doubts, something or nothing. If you do nothing with him, nothing happens. If you do something with him and you go to the teacher and you bring him your doubts and you bring him your questions, you bring him your misunderstandings, you say, Jesus, I don't know what to do with these. Help me understand. Now you're engaged with him. And you're pursuing him, going to him. We ask our kids uh, a lot of questions to hopefully allow those God conversations to happen in our home. Sometimes that backfires because as soon as you open that door of, hey, asking them a lot of questions and inviting them to, to share, all of a sudden it's like, wow, we have gone all over the place, right? You know how that goes. And then you have, well, why? And what about this? And well, why that? And why that? And like at some point you just call time out. But we do, especially on Sundays, we'll, t- we'll ask them, tell me about what you learned today. What did that mean to you? Why was that important? And they share, and then they ask some questions. So I had to write these down. There's two questions that stick out to me, questions my kids have asked and wrestled with in regards to God and their faith as they are growing up as well. The first question, why did God make mosquitoes? That's a valid question, a very valid question. And I have to respond with like a... I don't really know. I guess we'll have to ask him in heaven one day, but I have no clue. But that's a great question. I'm glad you're wrestling. <laughs> the second question, I'm not making it up, was asked by my middle son. This was probably a year or so ago, and I'll never forget it. He said, Dad, when Jesus takes us to heaven, will he use rocket boots? <laughs> and I didn't have it in me to tell him no, because I guess technically I don't know. So, you know what? It would be totally epic. Sure, maybe. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see, but what a great question. Will Jesus use rocket boots? I love that. We want them to ask questions because I want my kids to wrestle with questions. I want them to own their faith, and I want them to learn to go to teacher, to Jesus, our teacher. What do you do with your questions? What kind of questions are you asking? You're probably not asking I me, mean, you might be asking the mosquito question. That's again, that's a fair question. You're probably not asking the rocket boots question. My guess, because I've asked these before, questions like why do bad things happen? God, well I'm doing all the right things, so why isn't it working out? Will you really forgive me? Kind of what Trace was talking about earlier today. Do you actually listen to my prayers? Are you even there? Is this really true? Like really true, not suggestion, but is this really true? And a number of other questions I'm sure you are asking yourself. What do you do with those questions? Can I plead with you to take your questions to the teacher? Take them to Jesus. Here's the one thing I'll give you, maybe advice if you wanna call it that, in regards to asking Jesus your questions. Two parts, ask questions with sincerity, like a sincere heart. The second part's the harder one. And listen to the answers with humility. Ask questions with sincerity and be ready to receive answers and hear answers and listen to his answers with humility. Because oftentimes the answers we get are not the answers we want. A humble position and posture says, I don't necessarily want to hear that. I might not even agree with that, but I'm going to learn from Jesus, my teacher. That's the first part, the first definition, the relationship we see between Jesus and Nicodemus. If we go to John chapter 7, we see this middle section throughout the gospel where, again, Nicodemus gets mentioned again. Now, there's a scene that is is kind of being played out. The cultural tension is very, very high. So you're going to hear what's happening in this area, this scene that's unfolding. And then we'll see Nicodemus show up. John chapter 7, starting in verse 43. So the crowd was divided about Jesus. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Well, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too? the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? Nicodemus might've been getting a little hot at this point. Like, uh, surely they don't know. There's no way they possibly know. Is there any one of us, the rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus shows up. Then Nicodemus the leader who had met with Jesus earlier spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Now that's a, that's a knock on Nicodemus. Like they're making fun of Nicodemus. Galilee is that place that nothing good comes from. So you all probably have a place in mind and I'm not gonna say it out loud because it'll cause problems here at church probably. Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. So Jesus started out as teacher to Nicodemus. And then we get to this part of the story where culturally, dude, they're in a mess. People are divided over if they believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus. If Jesus is Messiah or if he's a heretic. Some people want to see Jesus continue his ministry. Some people want to see Jesus arrested and even killed. It is a culture divided, tensions high, conflict, arguments. It sounds like we just watched the news yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> Division and tension and conflict and disagreement. And the leaders of the religious the religious leaders and the Pharisees are the ones pushing for Jesus' arrest. And then Nicodemus does something. Those two words, you remember what it said? And then Nicodemus, what? He spoke up. He spoke up. He didn't necessarily defend Jesus. This is not a lesson on how to defend Jesus or defend your faith. He asked a question. Is this legal what we're talking about? Is this even right? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I only speak up about the things I care about. I speak up over the things that matter to me most. I speak up about the people that matter to me most and that I care about. So how would we define the relationship at this point in, in Nicodemus' life with Jesus? I would say this, that Jesus is friend, that Jesus is our friend. Based on the evidence we have that Nicodemus spoke up. He didn't have to say anything. In fact, it was kind of dangerous to say something, but that's what friends do. When you have a friend, you speak up for them. You give up for them. For no other reason than they are your friend and you care about them. So something has changed from visiting Jesus at night in secret to now, is this really what we should be doing? He's talking to his peers in public, speaking up for Jesus. That sounds an awful lot like a kind of relationship that we would define today as a friend, Jesus talks about our relationship with him in very similar words. John chapter 15, just a few verses over, chapters over, Jesus is speaking and helping us understand the relationship he desires with us. Jesus' words, John 15, verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. Do you hear kind of that two way street? That's what a friendship looks like. It's not one way. It's not just one person. It's both in this relationship together. So Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And then Jesus sums it all up with this sentence, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was on a walk last night and I found a stick in our neighborhood that obviously had came came apart from a tree. Now to state the obvious, there is a difference. There's really only one difference between a Branch and a stick, right? The branch is connected to the tree. This stick is obviously disconnected. And that one fact makes a world of difference between a branch and a stick. The branch is still living because it's connected to the tree. This stick is obviously dead. That branch is going to produce because it is connected to the tree. This stick is not going to produce anything, it'll just get more and more and more brittle. One is alive, one is dead. And it all is based on, is it connected or not? That's what Jesus is desiring with us, is a connection, a friendship, a relationship. He says, if I remain in you and you remain in me, here's what that life, here's what that friendship begins to look like. Because again, if we define the relationship, it gives us direction. So I think of my friends and friends, that, that I would say is a friend and they're a friend back, we change for one another, don't we? We give up things for one another. You begin to adjust for that friend. You do things differently for your friends, and you, on some level, expect that in return. So I would say this. In regards to our relationship with Jesus as a friend, it does come down to a lot of prioritization. Prioritize what matters most and aim to please who matters most? That's what we begin to see maybe bubbling up in Nicodemus' life. He's aiming to please not his Pharisee friends, but Jesus, his friend. He begins to reprioritize his life where maybe before he wouldn't have cared who was arrested, but now he kind of does. Prioritize what matters most and aim to please who matters most. Jesus as a teacher. Jesus as our friend. Now we see a different relationship, how the relationship has grown and changed by John chapter 19. John chapter 19, starting in verse 38. This is after Jesus was crucified, but before Jesus came back to life. After crucifixion, before his resurrection. Verse 38, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, very similar to Nicodemus, has followed Jesus in secret, But afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate, that was the Roman official of the area, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And here's Nicodemus, verse 39. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never been used. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. How would we define or describe this relationship between Nicodemus and Jesus? Here's what I'll say, and then I'll explain why I think so. Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus was Nicodemus's Lord. And I would hope that Jesus is your Lord, as he is mine. The reason I say Jesus is our Lord, based on this part of the story, is notice when Nicodemus showed up, it wasn't in secret anymore. No longer in private. This was very public In fact, if you read the same account in the gospel of Mark, Mark takes it a step further and actually says that this was risky. Mark uses the word risky. For these two secret, prior secret disciples of Jesus to go to the Roman official is publicly declaring that they are now followers of Jesus. So it was risky. It was also risky for his reputation. Now all the other Jewish leaders that he had kept in the dark about his relationship with Jesus is now putting it on display. Reputation is at risk. But what also is significant is what he brought to Jesus, even in death. What Nicodemus brought to Jesus, we're told that he brought about seventy-five pounds of different burial myrrhs and aloes and spices. That seventy-five pounds in today's currency, with inflation. You're talking about 150 dollars to $200,000 worth of burial spices. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, we love the teachers in our lives. We do end-of-the-year uh, end presents for our kids' teachers. Not $150,000 worth. I mean, they are incredible and deserve it, but I don't have it to give. Then you talk about friends. I have some amazing friends that I would do a lot for and they would do a lot for me, but not $150,000 worth. Yet here is Nicodemus, risks his reputation, possibly risking his life, and literally gives $150,000 worth of spice to his Lord. It's no longer just learning from him. It's no longer just having a friendship with him. It's sacrificing to him. Nicodemus is surrendering his life to Jesus. Say, it's no longer me. It's all about you. For everything that Jesus has given up for us, we look back and say, you are Lord and we give you our lives. Everything we have is because of you. Everything we are is for you. So we open our hands and we say, we surrender because you are our Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, your life is no longer yours. Your life is his. Luke chapter nine, again, Jesus's words in helping us understand this definition of a relationship. If Jesus is Lord, here's what this looks like from Jesus's perspective. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, and I think it's very um, important we recognize this was not just a small little huddle with him and his disciples. This is Jesus and a crowd. He says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. When Jesus is your Lord, that's what our life looks like. We give up our own way. It's not about us. We open our hands and we pick up our cross daily, every single day. We wake up declaring that Jesus is Lord or he's not that our lives are his or our life is ours. And we make that decision and declaration daily, and then we follow him. A statement that might be helpful in you just thinking through the idea of lordship and the relationship between you and Jesus as Lord is this statement. I will follow Jesus even if, and then fill in the blank. So oftentimes we'll say, I will follow you, Jesus, as long as. As long as you do this, then I will follow you. But this one's different. I will follow you, even if, you don't meet my expectations. Even if life doesn't go the way that I want. Even if I don't fully understand. Even if I don't agree. It's in other words, we're saying, I will follow Jesus no matter what. Even if, I will still follow Jesus teacher, friend, and Lord. When you define the relationship, it gives you direction on the next steps to take. Jesus is teacher, so we ask him our questions. Jesus is friend, so we rely on him and depend on him, recognizing he's always with us. He cares for us, so we care for him. And Jesus is Lord, so we surrender our lives to him. Now, what this is not is a a sense of taking next steps and graduating from the next one. This is not, oh man, I was Jesus was teacher for a little bit, but we've moved on. We're friends now, and then you move on, and now he's Lord. No, this builds on each other. When Becky and I got married, June twenty eighth, two thousand and eight. You know what's great about our relationship? We still date. We still have some of those fun conversations that we reminisce on when we were engaged. So same is true in your relationship with Christ. When he is your Lord, he's still your teacher. When Jesus is your Lord, he's still your friend. But your life is not your own. Your life is in his hands now. I wanna give you three questions that I hope will help you define your relationship with Jesus so you can have some direction and what steps to take next in your relationship with Jesus. Let me read them and then I'll explain them. Am I learning from Jesus? Am I changing because of Jesus? Am I following Jesus? These might be great to take a picture, write them down, chew on these, wrestle with these throughout the week. Am I learning from Jesus? Yes or no? If your answer is no, then I would ask, well, are you asking questions at all? If not, you should. There's, we don't know everything. Who are you asking your questions to? Where are you seeking your answers? Who are you pursuing? What about am I changing because of Jesus? Because of the friendship that we have with Jesus? Remember what we were told in John 15? If I remain in you and you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. Things are going to change in our lives. When he's in us and we are with him, when we have that friendship, we change because of who he is to us and in us what he's done for us. The power of the Holy Spirit produces things in you because of the friendship you have with Jesus. Is that evident? Are you changing because of Jesus? Not are you changing for Jesus? You're not trying to earn something. You're changing because of the friendship you have and for what He's doing in your life. Am I following Jesus? It's a yes or no question. Kinda, maybe, sorta, sometimes. It's a yes or no. Am I following Jesus? Have I surrendered my life to Him? Does He have my heart? Or am I still holding on to the things that I want? Jesus said, anybody that wants to be my follower must give up their own way, pick up their cross daily, and follow me, he said. So I hope you would answer yes to every single one of these questions. But more so, if you answer no or you're not sure, I hope by defining these relationships, you have a better idea on maybe some of your next steps to start digging into scripture a little bit more and seeking answers, to spend time with Jesus like friends do, to depend on him more and to trust him with your life. If you'll close your eyes with me, I wanna give you a moment between you and Jesus to begin to think through how, you're gonna, how you would answer those questions. Yes, yes, and yes. Yes and some no's maybe some maybes or kind ofs or sort ofs or sometimes. When you define the relationship, it gives you direction on what steps to take next. So what are your next steps? How do you need to lean in as Jesus' teacher? How do you need to grow with Jesus as your friend? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus, for you to follow Jesus, to give up your own way, to pick up your cross, and to follow him? Jesus, thank you so much for being who we need you to be, for being the one that gives us truth, who gives us direction, who shows us the way, who gives us life, who teaches us. Thank you for being teacher. Thank you for being friend. And that our friendship with you is not based on what we do, but it's based on who we are and you call us friends. Thank you for the change that you produce in us because of the relationship we have with you. Jesus, thank you for being Lord over all things, sovereign in every way, King of kings, Lord of lords, and Savior of the world to do what we could never do, save our very souls. So Jesus, as our Lord, we give you our life. We give you our hearts. We open our hands and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.